grab your Bibles if you would tonight. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 chapter 13. And when you find your place there in 1 Corinthians 13, put your finger there and then turn your Bibles, if you would, to our key text, 2 Peter chapter number 1. We'll flip back over to 1 Corinthians 13 here in just a few moments. 2 Peter chapter number 1. And we're going to begin reading with verse number We've been learning about spiritual vital signs. And we continue to add to our faith the things that help us to be healthy in the Lord. And tonight we're going to add essential love. So look for that in our passage as we read through it here together this evening. Notice with me beginning with verse number 1 here in 2 Peter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, and notice, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. These are the things that we've been learning every week. We've gone through a lot of them so far. I know it's hard to keep track of, but as we build and we build and we build, we continue to add to our faith these things that cause us to be spiritually healthy. And this is part of what we do in the allowance of allowing the Holy Spirit to work out his power and strength through our lives. We let the Holy Spirit do his job. How many of you know a lot A lot of being a Christian is just staying out of the way of the Holy Spirit? He wants to do that work, that regenerative fruit in our life. He wants to perform that. And, and we let our flesh get in the way of that so many times. And a lot of it's just getting out of the Holy Spirit's way. Get into the Word of God, understand what he's teaching us and what he's calling us to, and then get out of the Holy Spirit's way and let him do his job. And, and when we get out of the Holy Spirit's way and we have diligence to learn of God and to know of God, we add into our life these things that make us healthy. And, and one of them is virtue, and then to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness. We learned last week brotherly kindness... And the brotherly kindness, this word charity, this is the word agape. This is what I'm told is the highest form of love. It's God's love, essentially. It's a love that our flesh is not capable of knowing or expressing or connecting with. We, we can't really know this love without the presence of the Spirit of God in us. Not in the way that the Bible calls us to it. So this is agape. This is love. In, in, in our version of Scripture, it's called charity. So we add to brotherly kindness, charity. That, that's God calling, he says, add love, okay? <laughs> for, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we need these things in our life. This, this is not a, well, I guess I'll add them if I feel like it. Well, let me tell you what, in your flesh, you'll never feel like it. You'll never feel like it. So, so this isn't, 
oh, if you want to, or if it's convenient, or if it feels right, or if it's, you know, it's something that you kind of get around to. These are commands to us. These are, these are stern commands. We're to do it diligently. We're to put our everything into it. We're to focus on it. We're to add these things to our life because to God, our spiritual health is of the utmost importance. You see, the healthier, healthier we are spiritually, the more God can do through our lives. The less healthy we are spiritually, the less God can do through our lives. And God wants to bless us immensely. And that blessing isn't a new car and a new house. Those are forms of blessings. But the real blessings that God wants to give each and every one of us who know him, who are a child of God, is the blessing of him working in an unrestrained fashion through our life. And and let me tell you, as a believer, there's nothing more exciting than sensing and, and acknowledging the presence of God in your life in that way, where you see him working through you, where you sense that fruit developing in you, where you know you're walking with the Lord, where you see him accomplishing his work in your life. Boy, it's, how many of you would say tonight by, by a hearty amen, it's exciting to have God work in your life. Amen. It's exciting to be alive in the Lord. And a spiritually healthy person gets to sense the fullness of that. So, so he's, he's giving us this instruction for our good and for his glory. But he that lacketh these things is blind. So he's not fruitful. He's withered, he's blind, he cannot see afar off. He's forgotten that he was purchased from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How many of you are glad tonight that God desires for us to have spiritual health? He doesn't just want us to be saved. That's good. Hey, how many are glad you're saved tonight? But he wants you to be full of all that that means. and, And all that that can accomplish in our life. So let's pray and let's begin the process of understanding what it means to add this agape love to our life spiritually. Heavenly Father, we're so glad to be in your house tonight with your people. We're so glad that that you desire to work through our lives. I pray that we would be open to you tonight. Lord, we, we, we are closed off in so many ways many times because of hurts and difficulties, because of stress and fatigue, because of it's Wednesday night and I'm tired. And, and all of these things could be hindrances where we're not picking up on all that you would have us to pick up on. So I pray that you would calm us tonight, that you would focus us, that you would cause us to be alert and diligent as we learn your word so that we can apply these truths to our life and so that we can be spiritually healthy. And particularly, God, help us with this thing concerning expressing your love. We know it's impossible for us to do this in the natural man, but we're so glad that you have given us your spirit and so that we can know your love. So help us to understand that tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Tonight, we're talking about essential love. Add to brotherly kindness, charity, agape, love. Now, probably of all of the furniture that we've talked about moving into our life spiritually, again, that's what we meant when we said add to our faith these things. The faith built the house. How many of you understand? Faith built the house. We don't build the house. Jesus did. We are his temple. 
He formed us to be his temple when he saved us. He built the house. Faith built the house. We're adding the furniture. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to be our interior decorator. And he's kicking out the cobwebs and the old, ratty, nasty, smelly furniture of the flesh. And he's ordered up that really good, really expensive. How do you know that this furniture, this furniture that, that Peter's writing about, this is expensive stuff. This is top-of-the-line furniture. How many of you have ever been to some of those expensive furniture stores before? What am I talking about? How many of you know all furniture is expensive now? There's no such thing as cheap furniture. And, and you go in there, and you're looking at that furniture, and you see the price tag, and very quickly you tell the kids, don't sit on anything, all right? Don't touch it. This is expensive furniture. How is it expensive? Jesus Christ shed his blood for it. Jesus Christ paid the price so that this furniture could be moved into our life. This is expensive stuff. This is quality stuff. And of all the furniture that gets moved into our life, there's probably not a piece of furniture that makes a more drastic difference than this furniture of the love of God. Because as we really connect with God's love in our life, when we connect with that charity, it is really that thing that, that, that focuses the transformation that takes place in our life. They will know we are Christians by our what? That's the furniture people first notice. It's the furniture that really brings about all of the other things that happen in our life spiritually. In fact, even the law hearkens to that. The law tells us this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And love your what? neighbor as yourself and that's transformative because we don't do those types of things in our flesh so of all the furniture that we've discussed virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and brotherly kindness now charity this this thing of charity probably is the most impactful furniture that gets added into our life so i think it's important that we know about it and that we understand it and i don't know of a single more descriptive passage of scripture concerning the love of God than 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I hope that doesn't bore you because we all probably know 1 Corinthians 13. You probably can quote it to me tonight. You probably had it read at your wedding. You'll probably have it read at your funeral. Hopefully not anytime real soon, okay? This passage gets read a lot. It gets memorized a lot. It gets put on t-shirts a lot. It gets put on bumper stickers a lot, different verses in this passage you'll know it but that doesn't excuse you from living it how many of you understand sometimes you can know it so much it, it doesn't mean anything to us anymore so it has to it has to move from this place of head knowledge to this place of activity and action and connection in our lives so that's what we want it to do so we're going to spend the next few weeks breaking down this very important furniture called the love of god because it, it just makes such a drastic difference in our life when we're connecting with it um, I want to go ahead and read uh, the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. That's what we're going to deal with tonight. So if you held your place there in 1 Corinthians 13, turn there with me now. The verses are also on the screen. And we're going to begin reading with verse number one. The Apostle Paul speaking. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not, here's this word, charity, agape, love. I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand 
all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, we learn something right off the bat concerning this thing of love, God's love, agape love. It is essential. Because there's a whole lot of stuff that Paul's going to talk about doing, and it is good stuff. I mean, this eloquent speech, these tongues of angels, this faith that can move mountains, giving your own body to be burned. I mean, this is heroic, top-of-the-line activity. And yet it's diminished when you compare it to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we learn this from these three verses of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. God's love is essential in our life if anything else is going to have power. If we want anything else to be connective in our life, if we want any work that we do to be connective, if we want any activity we have to be connective, if we want anything to count for God, it must be surrounded in the love of God. The love of God is the key conduit that connects activity, our thoughts and our actions to something that produces fruit. It must be done in the love of God. So let's talk about each of these aspects of this that Paul speaks Here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. First of all, I want to draw your attention to this. Love is greater than my words. Love is greater than my words. Notice again, verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And how many of you understand that the apostle Paul could put a sentence together? He could put a sentence together. I mean, we read his writings and we understand this was not a man who lacked the ability to understand language. He knew how to use words. He knew how to connect words. He knew how to position words. He knew how to leverage words. If, if you can do it with a word, the Apostle Paul could do it. And, and he had a background and a resume that really enforced that. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a concerning the law of Pharisee. He was at the top of the top concerning the religious elite. And we find that he presided and was around the killing of Christians in the early church and and probably spoke railing accusations against them, used his tongue to slice and dice and dissect and bring violence upon the early church. He could take words and sway people. And God used that gift and talent as he wrote to these churches, as he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. How many of you understand tonight, words are powerful? The Bible's full of consideration concerning that. The tongue is a powerful thing. Words are a powerful thing. What you say matters. Words are powerful. But this is what Paul says. The love of God is greater than my words. He could accomplish a lot with his words. He had gotten a lot done with his words in the past, but he learned now as a believer the real way to make even your words effective was to do everything through the conduit of the love of God. How many of you understand we even have admonition from Scripture to speak the truth in what? Love. Everything that we speak... 
should be done through the conduit of love. That doesn't mean that our words need to be diminished or held back or that when the word of God is preached, we don't preach it in its whole counsel, thinking that by diminishing it, we're loving people. That's not loving people. How many of you understand if you love people, you are going to give them the truth, but you're not going to beat them to death with it. You want that truth to come into their heart and life and ignite the flame of faith and allow the Holy Spirit to call them to a point of understanding of who God is. So words are powerful, but our words are not as powerful as the love of God. And sometimes we rely on our words more than we rely on the word of God. We think, I'm going to make this happen in my family. I'll raise the volume a little bit. I'm going to make this happen in my work. I'll be the squeaky wheel. I'm going to make this happen in my neighborhood. I'll say these cutting words. And we think we can accomplish something through our flesh with our words when really, if we would take time to connect with God and his truth, we would be much more effective with our words if they were wrapped in the love of God. I've asked this before, but how many of you have said something you wish you hadn't said? And man, when that's out, it's just, oh, it's so powerful. It's hard to get back. And you can always tell when you're trying to make up for your own lack of power with your words because you use words you ought not use. You know, I, I'm not a fan of foul language. It bothers me when I'm around people and they use foul language. It just grates on me. And I've found through exposure to people and attitudes who tend to use foul language is they're trying to make up for their lack of ability or power or connection by trying to grasp for words they shouldn't be using. And if you've ever lost your temper, hammer, thumb, you know, something's gotten power over you, it's amazing that when you're squeezed, what can slip out, huh? Those reckless words are a sign that you're out of control. But how many of you are glad the love of God is always in control? And if we're operating and speaking in the love of God, it will control our words. It will help our words to connect. It will give power to our words that our flesh could never otherwise give to our words. Words are powerful. The Bible gives us some understanding of how we can use words and how they can have no power. I want you to notice this example from Jesus as he is really going after the hypocritical Pharisees in Matthew 15. We'll start reading with verse number 7. The verses are on the screen. Matthew 15, verse 7. Notice what he says here. This is Jesus. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draw nigh unto me with their what? With their mouth, their words, their lofty words about how much I love God. And You know, these were the guys who would sing the loudest in church. Oh, how I love Jesus, you know. Drawing nigh with their mouth. But notice this. And honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They, they, they weren't connected in love with God. We understand that when we have no love connection, our words become a sounding brass and as a tinkling cymbal. I would encourage you to read all of Second Peter Chapter number two, it really dissects an understanding of false teachers and how they operate. We don't have time to read the whole chapter tonight, but I'm going to pull out some key verses that help make this point concerning 
words that might be powerful uh, in the flesh, but not have the power of the love of God behind them. Notice with me here in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, the Bible says this, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So the context of what we're going to be reading here is under false teaching. Now notice this in verse number 3. And through covetousness. So they don't have a heart of love. They have a heart of selfishness and covetousness. That's what's governing their words. That's what's governing their heresies. That's what's governing their apostasy. That's what's governing their false teaching. And through covetousness. Shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you? I was talking about this with somebody, I think, this past Sunday morning. I've never heard a false teacher get on the screen and say, hey, just plant a seed of $1,000. Plant a seed right now. Call in. Seed of $1,000. What are they doing? With their words, they're making merchandise of you. Words are powerful, and they try to compel people with their words. They don't have the love of God in their heart. What do they have in their heart? Their next Learjet. What do they have in their heart? Their next covetous desire. What do they have in their heart? Their next greedy impulse. It's not the love of God. But they can speak these powerful, swelling words. And people will flock to the telephones. And they'll call in with their credit card. And they'll mortgage their house. And they'll plant those $1,000 seeds. And I believe this. I believe those people are going to give a heavy account one day before God in heaven. But with their words, they make merchandise of people whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. What's, Paul, what's Peter saying? God's going to get them. God's going to get them. Now notice as we continue, we're going to drop down to verses 18 and 19. Notice again these words. Their words are not connected to love though. It's connected to their vanity. It's connected to their covetousness. 2 Peter 2, verse 18, notice, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same is he bought or brought in bondage. So we find here that these words are powerful, they can move people, They can cause people to action, but if they're not connected to the love of God, it will use people, it will chew up people, it will spit out people. That's what selfishness and covetousness does. Hey, what do we need to learn tonight about love? Our words are nothing if they're not connected to the love of God. The love of Jesus is greater than our words. And we need to start speaking in the love, the spirit of the love of God. We do. That doesn't mean we can't be bold. That doesn't mean we can't be firm. That doesn't mean we don't declare the truth. But it means that we always do it in the spirit and love of God. So we see that God's love is greater than our words. Secondly, I want us to see tonight that God's love is greater than my gifting. God's love is greater than my gifting. And gifts are a big deal. I don't, think we, I don't think we make enough of the gifts of the Spirit of God as we should in the church of God. And as a result of that, I think there are a lot of people 
that are sitting in pews all over in churches in America today and in the world today, and they're just spectators instead of engagers in the ministry of the work of God. And, and the reason why is because their gifts aren't being cultivated. They're not attaching themselves to the areas of ministry to which they've been gifted. And gifts are important. And how many of you are glad that if you're saved tonight, the Holy Spirit of God has moved in you? And how many of you are glad you have at least one gift tonight? God comes into your life. He doesn't leave you giftless. He's going to give you something that can bring into service for God to use for Him. His Spirit equips you and leads you to all truth and guides you and helps you to serve the Lord. So we have this gifting that we're given by God. Some of that gifting is attached to the talents that he's given to us. How many of you like it when people have talent, but you don't like them very much because they're too talented, right? I'm jealous of them. No, that's a beautiful thing when people have talent that God's given to them. And, and that can be connected to that spiritual gifting. And God can use that in a wonderful way in the body of Christ. And, and, and quite frankly, if we're not careful, gifting will rise up in conceit and pride and overwhelm everything else that takes place in the church if, it's not, if we're not careful with it. In fact, that was a big problem in the church of Corinth. Paul had to write to the church of Corinth because they were actually abusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit of God and they were misusing the gift of tongues and they were misusing other giftings that God had given to them at that time and it was really causing a lot of had, ha, uh, headaches in the church. So, so gifting is a powerful thing, but if it's not connected to the love of God, it means nothing. Notice with me verse number two again of 1 Corinthians 13. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, agape love, I am nothing. And I have to believe that Paul was a very gifted person. Not only was he gifted in speaking, he was gifted in administration. How many of you understand? He said at one point he had the care of all the churches on him. Man, that's a lot of administration. As that early, how many of you understand some of those churches in that early church, they got big. One day, 3,000 souls were added to the church at Jerusalem. I'm told that in its heyday, the church of Ephesus, and again, church might have been observed a little bit differently in congregations than it is now, but I'm told that the church at Ephesus or churches at Ephesus might have comprised somewhere close to 300,000 people at one point. How many know that's a lot of people? And so when Paul writes and he says, I have the weight of the care of the churches on me, that's, that's a lot of administration. He was probably very gifted administration. So Paul had a lot of gifting, but he said, even though I have a lot of gifting, even though I might have a lot of talent, I'm really nothing without the love of God. And I want us to all recognize this. All of us are nothing without the love of God. The only thing that has brought value into your life and my life is the fact that God loved us. The only thing that's brought value into your life and my life is the fact that God paid a price for us. That's what that's brought value. You know, we live in a conceited culture today. Where we're taught that everything and everyone and every situation is number one, right? We're all winners. We're all number one. And this is the, the reality with that, is none of us are number one. The Bible still says this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
The Bible tells us this, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says this about even our own righteousness. It is as a filthy rag. We have no intrinsic value other than the life that God has created and redeemed. But we bring nothing to the table. The thing that gives us eternal value is the eternal life that God gives us as a gift through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon salvation. And by the way, how many of you are glad he loved us enough to give us that gift? See, that's the nature of the love of God. And so our giftings aren't the things that bring value to our life. The love of God is what brings value to our giftings. There's a lot of people who are very gifted at all kinds of things, but they're not using it for the glory of God. They're not using it connected to the love of God. Many times we see people using those gifts for their own selfish satisfaction. Oh, that that would not be said for us as believers. Oh, that we would be... Listen, this is what I pray, and I pray it frequently. I pray that we as a church would be a bounty of God gifts that we would use for his glory. God told us that we're not to hide our light. And part of the light is the giftings that God has given us attached to his love to show other people what God is doing through us. Are you revealing that gift? Are you using that gift? And are you using it in the love of God? You see, without God's love, we are nothing. Now, these are some pretty powerful gifts. The gift of prophecy. Prophecy deals with being able to foretell things and being able to foretell things. Now, how many of you wish you knew the future? Yeah, me either, okay. But how many of you are glad we can know the future because of the gift of prophecy that God bestowed on people to write this book right here? And so we can open up the scripture and we can know what's going on today. We can know why it's going on today. And we know what the future holds for us concerning what God has given us in his word because he's declared it to us through prophecy. Prophets were key figures of the Old Testament as they would go and proclaim what God was going to do to God's people. We find that prophets were key in the New Testament. Many of them giving out the word of God and forth telling what God was telling them to write down right then and there. And we do experience prophecy today. Not the added illumination that goes on in false doctrine churches. Listen, nobody dreams new dreams and adds to the word of God. How many of you are glad it's been completed by God? It's been completed. But the type of prophecy that takes place today is opening what's already been prophesied and redeclaring that truth again. Every time we open up the word of God and we talk about Jesus coming again, how many of you know we're prophesying about that? Now, I didn't come up with that prophecy, but I'm repeating those who were given that prophecy. So we prophesy today from the word of God. It's a wonderful gift to have that. But if it's not connected to God's love, we're nothing. He says, though I might have all knowledge. Well, we've learned in another passage that knowledge puffeth up and causes pride if it's not connected to the love of God. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote, he said this, uh, love, love edifieth, but knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge without love brings pride. We've got to be careful about that. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. Now that's a curious thought because how much faith does it take to move a mountain? 
You remember that passage in scripture? How much faith does it take to move a mountain? Mustard seed. And Paul says, if I had all faith to move mountains and yet have not charity, it advantages me nothing. It advantages me nothing. A lot of people, they want to conjure up this faith and they want to move a mountain. To what end? To what end? If it's not connected to the love of God and it's not connected to the callings of God, what are we accomplishing? Without God's love, I am nothing. You see, love is greater than my gifting. Let me give you this tonight. Don't make your gifting your God. Make God your God. The problem with the church of Corinth is they made gifting their God and they begin to compare themselves amongst themselves and they begin to cause strife and they begin to cause bitterness and it begin to cause envy and it begin to cause a total segregation of that church between those who are doing these gifts and those who are doing those gifts. Hey, if we are not connected to the love of God, then we will end up making gifts our God and that will destroy the work of God. Make God your God. Worship him, serve him. And if he gives you gifts, use them for his glory and for his honor. Use them for his work and for lifting him up to others. Love is greater than my gifting. You want to know how you know that your gifting's your God? When you're not willing to use it in humility. When you're not willing to use it in humility. What does that mean? Well, it means that whatever context you're in, and however God is working to be able to use that or to bring that about, you're willing to use it as you're able to use it. You know, a lot of people only want to use their gifts if they can use it their way and in their timing. Hey, I'm only going to use my gift if it matches up with this schedule. I'm only going to use my gift if it matches up with this ministry paradigm. I'm only going to use my gift if, if I like this person. I'm only going to use my gift if I get accolades. I'm only going to use my gift if I get an award. I'm only going to use my gift if I get noticed. I'm only going to use my gift if I can do it this way. No, you've made your gift your God. Use your gift however you can use it and watch God open up more doors. It's his gift. It's not yours. So use your gift. Well, I want to use it this way. and I want to use it that way. and I want to use it this way. I'm just going to do this. Well, okay. But you could be doing something great for God right now. If you just use it as God would allow you to use it. Don't use your giftings as a hostage negotiation with God. Well, God, if you make this happen in my life, then I'll use my gift for you. God, if you'll bless me in this way, then I'll use my gift for you. God, if you'll bend to my desire in this direction, then I'll use my gift for you. Hey, listen, this isn't a hostage negotiation. That's not connected to love. You know how a gift is connected to love? God, I don't know why you gave me this gift. I don't know why I'm blessed with this gift. But however I can, and whatever way I can, I'm going to use it for your honor and your glory. I'm going to trust you with it because it's your gift anyway. And maybe, maybe I'll be able to even grow in it. And, and, and I'll let you put me where you put me and use me how you... But, but you know, a lot of us, we're like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my gift the way I want to use it. Well, they're not our gifts. They're God's gifts. Be a blessing to those that you're around. 
Minister to those that you're around. Use the opportunities God gives you. And God will connect that gift and grow that gift and open up doors and, and, and blow open boundaries and do all kinds of things with that that you wouldn't even imagine if you would just be faithful to use your gifts for God. I don't know how many teachers we have in here. I don't know how many children's workers we have in here. I don't know how many choir members we could have in here. I don't know how many. But man, however God works and gifts, use it where you're at and be diligent with it. Hey, you're the one who's going to have to give an account for it someday. You're going to have to give an account for how you used it, when you used it, if you held it back, if you used it faithfully. You're the one that's going to give an account for it. So be diligent with it. Add to your faith. And connect those gifts with love. Love is greater than my gifting. Lastly, tonight, we see from our passage, love, the love of God, is greater than my sacrifice. The love of God is greater than my sacrifice. A lot of us think the, the greatest thing I could do for God is give my life for him. And we talk in these big, swelling terms of, I would die for God. We want people to know, I'd give my life for him. I'd, I'd die for him. I'd throw my life down for him. I'd, I'd, I'd give my life for God. And we talk in big terms like that. And this is what Paul says about that. Notice with me verse number three. And though I bestow all my goods, that's sacrifice. I'm, I'm going to take all my goods and I'm going to bestow them to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, I don't think I'd choose that particular avenue, all right? And though I give my body to be burned, that's, that's a sacrifice. He's sacrificing his very body and, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What is he saying? He's saying the love of God is greater than my sacrifice. We think sacrifice is the ultimate thing, but it's not. Love is the ultimate thing. Love is the ultimate thing. The sacrifice has to be attached to the love of God. For God so what? That he what? So what came first? Love came first. God so loved the world that he gave. So this sacrifice is attached to love. That sacrifice is attached to love. And Paul says, hey, if I give my body or I give all of my stuff and it doesn't involve the love and the holiness and the characteristics of God, then it's of nothing. It's of nothing. Now, I don't want what I said to seemingly discount the fact that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't in itself the thing that saved us from our sins. How many of you understand God just loving us wouldn't have saved us from our sins? Jesus had to die on a cross and shed his blood and rise again for us to be saved and have eternal life. But I'm just saying, even in that sacrifice, God extended that sacrifice in agape love. And so what we do in our sacrifice, if it's not attached to God's agape love, it profiteth me nothing. The love of God is greater than my sacrifice. We see this as an example from Saul's reign. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22, the verse is on the screen. Let me give you a little bit of background. Saul was commanded to go in and kill all the Amalekites and all of their livestock and everything that they had. Just utterly destroy them. And instead Saul went in and he utterly killed all of the Amalekites except for this person and that person, the king and this and that and th these sheep and 
a whole bunch of stuff that he grabbed for himself. And he began to make his way away from that conflict, and, and he had all this stuff behind him, and Samuel meets him as he's coming back home from battle, and Samuel asks him this question, uh, Saul, what means all this bah I'm hearing coming behind you? What meaneth all the bleeding of the sheep that's coming behind you? And here's Saul, very spiritual. And how many of you know we can be very spiritual in the way we position ourselves outside of the love of God? We can be very spiritual for how we position ourselves in our own selfishness and, and, and self-desires. This is what Saul said. He said, oh, Samuel, duh, I kept all this stuff so I could sacrifice it to God. And how many of you know it's okay to disobey God as long as you're going to obey him someday? No. And Saul then responds with this. Notice 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and you sacrificing the lambs to God that you say you kept for him? Does he have as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Why is obedience better than sacrifice? Because obedience is how we say, I love you to God. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my what? Commandments. It's how we say, I love you to God. God, God doesn't want us to slay 10,000 bulls for him. He wants us to love him. And out of our love for him, we will sacrifice to him. But if we just say we're going to sacrifice here, here, and we're choosy with our sacrifice, but we show that sacrifice. Look what I sacrificed. We throw that change extra hard in the offering plate so people know we're paying a price here. But it's just, it's just incremental sacrifice. It's just sacrifice on our terms. It's not connected to the love of God. And God wants nothing to do with it. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken to his voice is better than slaying the rams and putting their fat on the altar and sizzling it up real good. Obeying him. Notice Psalm chapter 51. This is David's repentant prayer to God after his sin with Bathsheba. And notice the truth that comes out of his mouth in this prayer, starting with verse 16. For Thou, speaking to God, this is David speaking to God, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are this, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite what? It's, it's that, that breaking of our heart to our own selfishness and our own desires and having it broken open and given over in love to God. That's what he wants. But we throw, I will, I will die for God. Okay, but will you live for him in love? What does it mean to live for him in love? Will you obey him right now? Will you do what he calls you to right now? We like, we like to talk in those words. I'd give my life. Will you live for him now? Will you obey him now? Obedience is the better sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So we learn that God's love is greater than my sacrifice. So as we think of adding to our faith love, understand that love must be the context for all of our service. Love 
is greater than my words. Love is greater than my gifting. And love is greater than my sacrifice. Now, next week, we're going to learn how love behaves itself. What does love look like? When we move that furniture of love into our life, then how does it form our actions? Love's the conduit. It's the context. What do actions look like when they come through that conduit of love? We're going to learn in detail what that looks like next week.